Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. A common statement that people make is put your money where your mouth is, meaning don't just talk about certain causes or certain issues and tell other people how important they are. If they're really important to you, then put your money where your mouth is. In our culture today, we see a lot of people who are very vocal about the importance of different causes and different things that they, you know, value, whether it be, you know, the poor all the way to global warming. But for many of them, all it is is talk and they tell you how important it is and how much you should support it, but they don't support it themselves. And so you would say to them, well, if it's really this important, Put your money where your mouth is. If you really think that this is something of value, then why don't you invest in it personally? Now, last week, we started a new section in 2 Corinthians titled Collection. And in this section, Paul deals with four different um, important things about giving. And in the context of these things, Paul is actually sharing with the Corinthians that, hey, you know what? I asked you guys uh, to give to the Jerusalem believers because in Jerusalem there was this famine and people were starving and they were in huge need. And so as Paul was going around to churches, he was asking the churches to give a gift to help meet the need there in Jerusalem. And as we're going to see, as we look at these verses this morning, it's been over a year since the Corinthians said, hey, yeah, we would love to help the Jerusalem believers count us in. We're going to give to them. We're going to help take care of their needs. Well, they haven't done it yet. And so, you know, Paul is encouraging them with these uh, different challenges about giving that, hey, you know, hey, guys. Put your money where your mouth, I guess you could say, was. Because a year ago, you you claimed that you wanted to do it, but now it's time to actually follow through and do that. So last week, we looked at the example of the Macedonians who gave, even though they were poverty-stricken, they gave sacrificially, uh, and they gave to the Jerusalem believers. And we saw that great example. And then we started to look at the exhortation that Paul was giving to uh, give, And we didn't finish that. And so this morning we're going to pick up uh, with a little more of an exhortation. And then we're also going to finish this section looking at the uh, explanation of giving and the encouragement to give. And so Paul starts here with some advice that he wants the Corinthians to have to exhort them to give. So let's pick up where we left off. Chapter 8, verse 10 says this. And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. And so here Paul wants to start off. I got some advice for you Corinthian believers with regard to giving to the Jerusalem believers who are in need. He says, hey, you know, you guys had the desire, you had the readiness, you had the willingness, and you know what? You even actually started the process, and all of those things are great, but 
They're only really great is if you complete it. You follow through with all those desires that you had. You need to put your money where your mouth was and act upon what you said you would do. You see, you can have all the desire in the world. You can have all the willingness in the world. You can have all the best intentions in the world. But if it doesn't follow with action, if nothing comes from it, then there's really not much to it. You know, I think something very common in our culture is procrastination. You know, we, we like to put things off for another day, for another time. And, you know, we procrastinate in all different areas, whether it be, you know, I'm finally going to get in shape to, you know, I'm going to fix that thing in my house or whatever it is. You know, we're, we're good at that. For those of you in school, you know, I know when I was in school, I put off, you know, doing that studying or, or writing that paper. But, you know, we're good at procrastinating. And we see here the Corinthians, they were guilty of procrastinating in the area of giving. Oh, Paul, we desperately want to give to those in Jerusalem who are needy and now a year has gone by and they still haven't done it. So they just kind of keep putting it off. They they wanted to do it. They had a desire to do it. They were ready and willing, but yet they haven't actually done it. It hasn't had action connected with it. William Barclay, a great commentator, said this about the importance of action. The tragedy of life so often is not that we have no high impulses, but that we fail to turn them into actions. You know, I think most of us have these high impulses, these desires to do good, to give to people, to help people. You know, we, we often have that. You see someone or you watch some kind of ad about, you know, kids who are orphans or, you know, there, there's all sorts of different things that move us. And we, we have this desire to help. We have this desire to give. We have this desire to do something. But our problem isn't the desire. Oftentimes the problem is that's all it is. It just stays in that place of, oh, that would be great. Oh, I'd like to, but... I never get to the point of action where I actually give, where I actually help those people in need. You know, when Jenny and I were missionaries in Scotland, every year we would come back and we talk with different churches and different people. And inevitably, every single time there'd be people who say, hey, we love what God's doing through you guys in Scotland and we would like to help support that work. And so how can we support you? And we tell them how they could do that. And for many of them, they never gave. You know, we hear from them, oh, we want to help, we want to support, we want to do it. And I'm confident that they were sincere in that, that they weren't just giving lip service, that they truly were saying, I want to support, but it was never followed through. We never received any support from some of these people. And, you know, and I think if we were to talk to those who run orphanages, especially internationally or whatever, I'm sure we would see the same thing where there's just so much talk of, oh, we want to help those kids and, oh, we want to help these people, but yet... At the end of the day, when it comes to writing the check and sending the money, oftentimes there's a disconnect. The action is not there. And so Paul says, hey, it's great you have the desire, but now you need to go beyond desire and actually complete what you said you would do and actually give. But then he encourages them with something here in verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. I don't think Paul wants the Corinthians to understand, especially those who were probably in Corinth that maybe not were as affluent and didn't have as much, is, hey guys, God only wants you to give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. 
And this is so important for us to understand because I think so often we get, uh, we feel bad. We think, well, you know, I don't have much. And so, you know, but we need to realize, hey, God only expects us to give of what we have, not of what we don't. You know, remember last week, the Macedonian believers were described as in deep poverty. They didn't have much to offer. What was great about them was that they were still willing to sacrifice even though they didn't have much to offer. It wasn't that, wow, look at the amount, look at how much money they gave. No, they weren't able to give that much. The impressive thing was even though they didn't have much, they still gave. And that's what God's looking at. He's not saying, I don't I don't care about the amount. I care that you actually are willing to give regardless of where you're at, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Uh, and so Paul's bringing this encouragement up that true giving is measured by obedience, proportion, and need. It's not measured by amount. So when it comes to giving, understand God accepts our giving according to what we have, not according to what we do not have. Now Paul's going to finish this exhortation to give with wanting the Corinthians to understand the reason he's asked them to give to the Jerusalem believers, because it seems that they've kind of missed the point of this. Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much has nothing left over, and he who gathered little has no lack. Paul recognized, you know, maybe the Corinthians were misunderstanding why he asked them to give to the Jerusalem believers. Hey, what, you just want to take our money so that we can be poor and that they can be rich, so that we can be burdened and so that they could be eased? Paul's saying, no, that's not the purpose at all. These people are barely surviving. They're in great poverty. They have this famine going. I'm not asking for you to give money so that they can be rich and lazy and that you can be now poor. I'm asking for you out of your abundance to help them and meet their need so that everyone's need is met. I'm not trying to burden you. I'm just asking you to help someone who is in great need so that everyone can be in a place where their needs are met. And notice what Paul brings out here that say, you know what, right now, The Jerusalem believers are lacking and you're not. And so you have the capacity to give to them so that they're no longer lacking and their needs are met. But one day it might turn around. You know, one day their famine might be done. And guess what? Here in Corinth, there might be a famine and you guys might be lacking and they have the abundance. And then they can turn around and do the same for you as you've done for them, that they can meet your lack, that they can help you. And so he's not just saying, this is just you Corinthians doing this for the Jerusalem believers. He's saying, this is just a principle within the body of of Christ, of when people are lacking, those of us who have the ability to help, let's do it. And that's what he's trying to encourage these Corinthian believers. That's the goal. I just want you to provide what's lacking for them. I'm not trying to make it so that you're poor and they're rich. I'm just trying to make it so that everyone has what they need. And in order to kind of emphasize his point, Paul quotes from Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. And in Exodus chapter 16, uh, the context there is that God is providing manna from heaven to the nation of Israel who is wandering in the wilderness. They have no food. They're complaining. And God says, hey, I'm going to give you supernatural fruit. I'm going to give you this manna from heaven. But as he gives them this, he gives a command to them for how they should partake of this manna. And so let's just uh, note that for a moment because Paul is using this to make his point. 
So Exodus 16, starting in verse 15, it says, So when the children of Israel saw it, speaking of the manna, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Paul is using this, he quotes this to try to make his point here of, hey, when God gave manna from heaven, he gave a command of just take what you need so that everyone at the end of the day would have their needs met. So, you know, some people had big families, maybe they had 10 people in their tent, and so they went out and took a little more manna to meet the need of their family, and others maybe only had three people in their tent, and so they took less, but, you know, just because they took less didn't mean that their needs weren't met, they still had their need met, and this bigger group had their need met, but every Everyone had their need met. That's the point. He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. That's Paul's heart. I'm asking you to give to the Jerusalem believers because right now they're lacking, and you guys can help it so that they're no longer lacking, and it's not going to mean that you are going to lack in the process that everybody can have what they need. So Paul's now given us the example for giving and the exhortation to give. And now he's going to give us an explanation of giving. And the explanation is really focused more on why he has sent Titus and this other believer that we're going to see to them to collect this money for the Jerusalem believers because perhaps they weren't fully clued in as to why have you sent these guys? And so Paul's going to clarify the purpose of this and the reason for this. Verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Paul wants to share a little more about Titus's role, because Paul sent Titus to go to Corinth. And um, now his only role wasn't just to say, hey, I I want you to just to go there. Remember verse six, he heard Titus that... um, as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So one of Titus's role was, hey, I'm going to encourage you guys to complete, to do what you said you would do and give the money to the Corinthians. But there's some more things that Titus was there for. Paul says, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. You see, Paul had an earnest care for these Corinthian believers, and he wants them to know, you know what, Titus is here because he also has an earnest care for you. He loves you guys, he cares for you guys, and he has come because of that reality. But he goes on in verse 17 to say, For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. You know, when Paul came to Titus and said, you know what, Titus, I would love for you to go to Corinth. I'd love for you to collect this gift that they're going to give to the Jerusalem believers. Titus wasn't like, all right, if I have to go to Corinth, all right, Paul, if you really want me to, I will. You know, that wasn't his attitude or his heart at all. Paul wants him to understand, hey, he didn't just accept it. He was diligent to go of his own accord. He wanted to be there. He wanted to go to you guys. And Paul wants them to realize Titus is there because he's chosen to, because he cares for you, because he wants to be there, not because I have forced him to go. And this was important for them to know. But Paul also sent another person. 
Uh, and we're going to see both these people and the purpose of why they went. Verses 18 and 19 says this. And we have sent him, the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but he was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. So Paul sends Titus, but he also sends this other brother in Christ with Titus. And, and Paul doesn't give us this person's name. There have been commentators who have, you know, tried to figure out who this person was. But, you know, the Bible is silent on it. And a good policy is when the Bible's silent, so should we don't know who this guy was. But we do know some things about him. Uh, and I think these are great examples for us. We're told two things about this brother in Christ. First, he's a man whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. So here's something he's known for throughout all the churches. His praise is in the gospel. And second, he's a man who was chosen by the churches to travel with Paul with this gift of money for the Jerusalem church. You see, it wasn't just Corinth that Paul was asking to give money. He was asking all the churches that he had planted to give money to the Jerusalem church. And so these churches had decided, you know what? Let's pick a guy, a godly guy, to go with you, Paul, and be a part of the process of gathering this gift for the churches, uh, the church there in Jerusalem. Well, now Paul's going to tell us, why is it so important that Titus and this other brother are a part of this? Why does Paul send them to collect this money? Verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul understood that when you receive money, especially money that is given as a gift uh, for other people, that there is a responsibility, there is an integrity, and there is an accountability that goes along with that. Paul wants to avoid any blame that he is mismanaging or he is misusing the gift that is being given to him by the Corinthian believers or by any other church. And to make sure that people understood that, he not only went by himself, there was an other guy that was always there to help manage the money, who had access, who made decisions. Paul wasn't the only guy who did that. He wasn't the only guy who handled the money. And this was very important to Paul because he took the responsibility and the integrity and the accountability of this very seriously. And I think this is a great example that Paul gives to any person who is in ministry or any person who is in charge of some kind of ministry fund that churches especially need to be above board when it comes to the funds that are coming in and the transparency that they are, what they're doing with that money. There should be several people involved in managing the money. There should always be accountability. You know, in our church, we have put several things in place to make sure that we are accountable, to make sure that we are responsible for the money that is given. Uh, every week when the ties are counted, it's always counted by at least two people to make sure there's an accountability there. Uh, with our checks that we have, you have to have two signatures for any check to be accepted by who we write it to. So I, as a pastor, can't just, you know, write a check, put my signature on it, and it goes. It always has to have at least two signatures because we always want accountability. And any money that we spend as a church, 
that I meet with the elders, we discuss, we first say, is this a need? And we, is this something that the Lord is leading us to do? And we have to be in agreement on that before we make any decisions and, and do anything with the money that is there because we recognize it's a responsibility that we need to be accountable to, uh, that we need to take very seriously. Uh, and we do that. Paul did that. And he wanted the Corinthians to understand he was doing that because, you know, they might have missed that. And, hey, I'm sending this guy because it's important to me that you understand I take this very seriously. So not only do we have a responsibility to give, but I think this brings up another reality. We have a responsibility to give wisely. You know, there are a lot of charities and there are a lot of ministries and churches, unfortunately, that misuse and mishandle funds. And it's not wise to give your money to those you know, charities or churches or whatever it is, because it is a misuse of the funds that are meant to go to people. You know, when Hurricane Harvey hit, I was reading different things of, you know, different charitable organizations, and some of them were giving less than 10 cents on the dollar to what you gave. So every dollar you gave, only 10 cents or less went to the actual people in need. That's horrible. 90% of the money they're keeping from themselves, and only 10% is going to the people. You know, that's not a group that you want to give to. And so, but there are also churches that, you know, they, they are, or ministries where, you know, the leaders get paid millions of dollars and they buy, you know, private jets to fly around in that cost 30, 40 million dollars. I mean, this is a waste of funds and it's a misuse of funds. Uh, and, you know, if you come across that, then I would just say, you know what, um, you want to be responsible and give wisely. And that is not a wise group to give money to. Paul goes on to share a few more things about the people he sent to collect money from the Jerusalem believers. Verse 22. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often found diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. And if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love, and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul wants the Corinthian believers to know, hey, you can trust Titus and you can trust this other brother in Christ that we've sent you. They have both been proven diligent and they are partners with Paul. And because of that, Paul says, you know, encourage them and because they're there to help uh, manage what you give. And now Paul also gives them a challenge. Notice a challenge to show them as in, Titus and this other brother, and before the church is the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul's saying, show them, show them what? Show them that you're actually willing to give. We've been boasting, now prove it. Show that you actually, you said you would give, show it, prove it to them by actually doing it. Once again, Paul's making the point that love shouldn't just be demonstrated in words, it should also be demonstrated in actions. Put your money where your mouth is. You know, many Christians are like the guy who wrote to his girlfriend, I would cross the widest ocean for you. I'd swim the deepest river for you. I would scale the highest mountain for you. I would walk across burning sands of desert for you because I love you. And he ends the letter with a P.S. If it doesn't rain Wednesday night, I'll be over to see you. 
Here this guy expresses, I'll do anything. Nothing's going to stop me from getting to you. Well, except if it rains, then I'm not going to come. Uh, and so, so often we're, we're willing to proclaim something like this guy in the letter of, oh, my undying love. But in real practical reality, it's different. And so Paul's saying, let's not just have words that express this great love. Let's also have action that's connected with it. And that's the challenge for these Believers. Now Paul's going to share a little more about why he sent Titus and this other brother. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that As I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation." Here Paul tells him another reason why he sent Titus, why he sent this other brother to collect the money from the Corinthians. You know, at the beginning of chapter 8, we noted that Paul gave the Macedonians as an example of giving. And he was gave seven different ways in which they gave, and it was such a, a great example. But notice he also says, I have been bragging to the Macedonians about you Corinthians. And the thing that I bragged about to the uh, to the Macedonians was you guys were ready a year before they were to give. And so he's saying, hey, I've been bragging on your behalf. You guys have been ready for a whole year to give. But you know what? I sent Titus and this other brother to make sure you actually do it. Because I don't want my boasting in you to be in vain. I don't want to show up with some other Macedonian. And I've been saying, hey, the Corinthians have been ready for a year to give. They're going to give. And then all of a sudden we show up and come there and you guys aren't giving and you guys aren't ready to give. You know, so he's saying, hey, I sent them to prepare you guys. But notice he says something else that I think is so important um, of why he wants this gift to be prepared before he gets there. He wants it to be already given and, and ready to go before he gets there because he says that the gift should be out of generosity and not out of grudging obligation. Paul wanted people to give because they wanted to give, not because they felt they had to give. Notice Paul wasn't, his heart wasn't, hey, you know what, wait till I get to Corinth before we have the collection because I really know how to make a crowd feel willing to give. I can manipulate, I can get people to do it. You know, we're going to have this big fundraiser when I get there and you just wait for me because I know how to get people to give money. Paul did not want any part of a type of fundraiser that would manipulate or pressure people to give. He wanted already done. When I get there, I want you to have already given and you just give me what you wanted to give and that'll be the end of it. I don't want to have to ask for it. I don't want to have to have some kind of fundraiser for it because I don't want you to give grudgingly. I want you to give because you choose to give. You know, sadly, in a lot of churches today, there's a lot of different things that are there to manipulate 
to pressure people to give. And it's not biblical. It's not healthy. Uh, I've been in several churches through my life where I've seen different things. Probably the most extreme that I saw was I went to a church and the whole service was a teaching on give, 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 give it. You had to do it. Uh, and then at the end of the service, they had these huge bowls that kind of looked like these giant salad bowls and they put them on the stage and there was two guys with microphones behind it and they said, okay, well now it's time to give. And, and most of the people in the church knew what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to happen. So people one by one come up and they kind of get in the line there. And as they put their money in the bowl, right then the person counts it and says thank you brother so-and-so for your hundred dollar gift so that everyone can know how much they gave and if someone were to give more like a thousand dollars they would stop and be like thank you brother so-and-so for your thousand dollar gift is there anyone else who wants to give a thousand dollars and match brother so-and-so and then someone else would come up and do it and there was this big hype and and all this stuff and it was so sad but even more sad There was someone who came up where they didn't say how much they gave. They just said, surely you have more to give to the Lord than that. Uh, And you're just like, whoa. You know, I mean, it was just such a show of like, let's get your money. Uh, And, you know, fortunately, that is not that common in the church world to that extreme. But there is a lot of manipulation and there's pressure. And that's just unbiblical. If you go to a church where it's constant manipulation and pressure to give, I'd say go find yourself a new church because that is not what the Bible speaks about, and we're going to see even more how Paul expresses the way in which we should give and the heart in it, uh, and it's not because of, you know, this grudging obligation. So that's Paul's explanation for why he sent Titus and why he sent this other brother to collect this money, and now he's going to give us an encouragement to give. Starting in verse 6, he says this, But this I say, he who sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul starts off with his encouragement to give with an illustration of a farmer sowing seed and the harvest that he receives through that. And with it, he's giving us a great principle when it comes to giving. If a farmer sows sparingly, he just throws a little bit of seed out there. I want to keep this seed to myself. I don't want to lose this seed. And so I'll just throw a little out. When harvest time comes, he is going to have a small harvest. But if the farmer throws out lots of seeds, it's bountiful. He just pours out the seed all over the place. When harvest time comes, he is going to receive a bountiful harvest harvest. Now, as a farmer is sowing seed, he might feel like, oh, I'm losing seed, but yet he recognizes, no, I shouldn't be thinking about the seed I'm losing. I should be thinking about the harvest that's ultimately coming. And I think as we give so often, it's kind of like, oh, the money that I'm losing or or whatever it is that we're giving that that's leaving my hand instead of the harvest that's coming because of what I have given. You see, what Paul wants us to see through this illustration is when it comes to giving, the more generous we are in our giving, the more we will receive back from the Lord. And the more stingy we are in our giving, the less we will receive back from the Lord. You see, oftentimes we are stingy and hold on to what we have because we're scared if I give this away, I'm going to lose out. I'm no longer going to have it. I'm going to be the one who loses out in this. But Paul wants us to understand you never lose out for giving to the Lord. He will always give back to you. And that doesn't just mean he's going to give you financial blessing back to you. There's many ways in which God blesses and rewards our giving. Many of them are spiritual blessings, which are actually more valuable than financial blessings. But Paul's one 
reminding us to stay, you're never going to lose out for giving to God. You're never going to lose out for giving to others on behalf of the Lord. That that's always something that God will reward. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with what the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is encouraging us to give, but he brings up this principle. The measure in which you give will be measured back to you by God. So if you give a little, then you will get a little. If you give a lot, then you will get a lot back from the Lord. So understand, when you give generously, you're not losing out. Instead, you are opening up the doors for God's blessing even more. The only way we ultimately lose out is when we're stingy and not willing to give. Because it's measured back to us. Uh, and so we think, oh, I'm going to hold on to this so I don't lose out. When the reality is, that's actually causing us to lose out if we're not willing to give and help those who are in need. So now that Paul has given this illustration about giving, he's going to share one of the most important verses in this chapter, how we should and how we should not give, verse 7. So let each one give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. When you and I give, Paul says, give out of the purpose of your heart. You should choose to give. It should be something that you have a heart to do, that you've personally made a choice to give to the Lord. But you should not give grudgingly or out of necessity. This word grudgingly means unwilling, reluctant, and regretful giving with plenty of complaining. You know, I'm sure all of you have had someone give something to you where it was a grudging giving. They gave it and they complained about it. You could tell they didn't want to give it to you at all. Uh, I know growing up between my brother, sister, and I, there was a lot of grudging giving, especially when we were forced to give apologies. That was definitely a grudgingly given, complained, I don't want to. But for me, a practical thing that sticks in my mind is my brother's four years older than me, and when he was 16, he got his license and he got a car, and my parents forced my brother to drive me around. And when he would drive me around, he did it very grudgingly. He didn't want a 12-year-old, you know, cruising around, and he'll think, I'm so cool, I finally got a car, and now i got to bring my little brother with me. And so he complained a lot. And he told me the only reason you're in this car is because mom and dad are making me. Uh, and so, you know, it wasn't a pleasant experience being driven anywhere uh, with him at that time. Uh, and so, you know, somebody gives you something grudgingly, whether it's an apology or something else, you know, we don't like that. It's not pleasant. It's not something that we want. I mean, I feel like, you know what, if that's how you feel, keep your gift. I don't want it. Obviously, you don't want to give it to me, so so why are we even doing this? Just keep it. Well, Paul is revealing to us that God, he does not want grudgingly given gifts to him. Or we complain, I have to give this to you, God. I don't want to give this to you. That that's not the heart that God wants us to have in giving. But God also doesn't want us to give out of necessity. The Greek word translated necessity means to impose by law, to bring one under pressure or compulsion to do something. You know, statistics tell us the number one reason that Christians say that they give is because they feel they have to, that they are compelled to, that they're imposed upon them. Uh, and, you know, when someone gives that way, they feel like they have to instead of they want to. That That's not the heart 
that God wants. This is one of the reasons why we have a, an offering box there in the other room uh, and we don't pass around a plate because I don't want people to feel like, oh, everyone's watching. I'm compelled to give. I have to give because, you know, there's this compulsion here. It's between you and God. If you want to do it, it's between you and him. And we leave that for you. But you know what? If my brother chose to give me a ride in his car instead of my parents forcing him to, it would have been a very different thing. This wasn't be this, this grudging giving. Hey, I chose to do this and now, you know, we can hang out in the car and actually have uh, a pleasant experience instead of an unpleasant one. But, uh, so Paul wants us to know that there's two ways we shouldn't give. We shouldn't give grudgingly. We shouldn't give out of necessity because that's not the way, the heart that God wants from us when we give to him. But Paul goes on to say, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, it's interesting, this uh, Greek word translated cheerful is uh, hilaros. It's where we get our English word hilarious. It means uh, cheerful, joyful, happy, exuberant. That's the kind of giving heart that God wants. Are you joyful? Are you exuberant? Is it, you know, oh, this makes me so happy to give. That's the heart that God wants us to have as we do it. You know, the English poet Carlyle said, that when he was a boy, a beggar came to the door and when his parents were gone and on a youthful impulse, he desired to give to this beggar. So he ran into his room, broke open his piggy bank, took all the coins that he had and gave it to this beggar. And he said, never before or since has he known such sheer happiness as came to him in that moment of giving. As we looked at last week, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, in our culture, we don't often believe that, but it's true. There is a joy and a happiness that comes when you give, when you purpose in your heart to give and you do it. Now, God wants us to have that heart, that desire, because it's a blessing to us. Alan Redpath, a great pastor and commentator, tells us this, how God gives. When God gives grace, he does not reluctantly open a little finger and maintain a clenched fist full of gifts. I would tell you today that God's hands are nail-pierced hands and they are wide open. This fountain of grace is always pouring itself out with no limitation on heaven's side at all. God is happy to give to you. He's happy to give to me. He's not sitting up in heaven grudgingly doing it. I hate giving to these people. They're so horrible. They're sinful. That's not the way he is. And it's like, well, I have to, so I guess I will. No, he's happy to do it. He does it because he loves us. And that's the way he wants us to give because he wants us to give like he does with the heart that he has. And so this is the way in which we see here, and you know, this is the, the best biblical text in the New Testament on giving. A lot of times we get so hung up on the Old Testament tithe and everything. God's just saying, you know what? I want you to give because you have a heart to give, because you want to give, because you're happy to give, and just do it. Uh, instead of, you know, getting all into the nitty gritty of other things, just have that heart and desire to be happy to give to the Lord and to the Lord's people and to those in need. Now, if you think, man, my heart is not there. You know, I give because I feel like I have to, and oftentimes I'm grudging it. Well, ask God to change your hearts. Pray that he would change your heart, that you truly would have his heart in giving, that it wouldn't be, I'm just doing it because you tell me to, but I'm doing it because I want to, because I actually take joy and happiness out of giving to the Lord. Well, once again, Paul is going to encourage us why giving like this is beneficial, verses 8 and 9, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, 
he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Once again, Paul wants us to know, you know what? When you give, God rewards givers. God is there to bless those who give to others. He's able to give us everything we need, and we should trust him to do that. You know, I think a lack of giving on our part oftentimes reveals a lack of trust for God to provide for us. Because sometimes we're not willing to give because we think, well, I need this to take care of me. I need this to get what I want. And if I give it away, what's going to happen to me? Instead of, you know what, I trust God will take care of my needs. I trust God will bless me. I trust God has this under control. And so I feel free to give knowing that God will reward and that God will take care of the needs that I have. And if we're not trusting God, then oftentimes we're holding on to the things that the Lord is asking us to give away to those who need it. Paul finishes here quoting Psalm 112. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The whole psalm is about how God blesses those who give, how God takes care of those who he loves. And so it says, hey, I can trust you, Lord, to take care of my needs. I can trust you to do this. And so I'm willing to freely have open hands and give what you call me to give. Well, now Paul wants to encourage them to give through a prayer. He's going to pray for them, recognizing how important that is. Verse 10, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you have enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So Paul says, you know what, Corinthians, I know it's a struggle. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your giving. I want to pray for your heart and giving. I want to pray for your trust in God as you give. And remember, you know, God doesn't only supply the seed, but he also supplies the food that the seed produces. He supplies the harvest. So trust him in both. You know, he's already provided you the resources. Trust that when you give them, he will supply more to you uh, and just be willing to accept that, be willing to trust that. And, um, and I think this is a good reminder of when we're struggling to give, Let's do what Paul did. Let's pray. Let's pray if it's a struggle because we don't trust the Lord. Let's pray that he would increase our trust in him. If it's because we're we're too much wanting different things and holding on to things, that God would just give us that heart and willingness to say, Lord, I'm willing to give stuff away to meet needs that other people have. Or, you know, whatever it is that we're struggling with, the heart to give, that we would ask God to change our hearts to be like his. Well, now Paul is going to encourage the Corinthians to give by helping them see how it benefits others. And this is a great encouragement for all of us. Verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So Paul here shares five benefits that come to others when we give. And this should be something that encourages us to give as we see the benefits that our giving has on people. Paul starts by saying the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints. You know, the first benefit is the most practical one. Giving to others provides for the needs of the saints. There's needs in Jerusalem. They're suffering. They have needs. And Paul's saying, hey, you know what? When you give to them, it supplies their needs. It's a very practical thing that we should say, this should encourage me. If nothing else, people are in need. I have the capacity to meet their need. And so I want to give in order to do that. Paul goes on to say, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings 
to God. You know, the second benefit in giving to others is that it causes people to abound in thanking God. You give to people, it's not that you're just giving them something that is monetary, that is a helpful thing practically. You're also giving them a reason to thank God, especially if you let them know, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. The reason I'm helping you is because of that. You know, so there's this motivation now that someone's like, well, thank God that you've done this. And I'm sure as you've given to people, that's kind of a response of, you know, there's a thanksgiving to God that they didn't have beforehand that now you have enabled them to have by meeting their need and letting them know, It's connected with God because he's the one who's motivated you to do that. And so hopefully all of us want people to give thanks to the Lord. And this is a a great encouragement of, hey, you give. That's one way to let people get to that place. Paul goes on to say, while through the proof of this ministry. You know, the third benefit in giving to others, it's a proof of God's work in us. You know, this is something we looked at a little bit last week. You can see the maturity spiritually in someone's life through their giving, whether it's their time, their treasures, their talents. You know, when someone's not generous in